0: The World Triathlon Championship Series Montreal is incoming and you can watch all the action on triathlonlive.tv on Saturday 24th of June from 11.30am local time when the women get the fourth stop of the 2023 circuit underway. Don't forget to make your fantasy league picks on obstri.com. That's O-B-S-T-R-I dot com where you can pit your prediction skills against fellow tri buffs like this week's guests Tommy Zafiris and Non Stanford and the overall series winner after the Pontevedra Championship finals will win a bumper bag of signed swag and merch. Today on the World Triathlon Podcast, we look ahead to the fourth series race of 2023 WTCS Montreal in the company of two people who know the course and the athletes side like the backs of their hands, former world champion in our team GB coach, non-Stanford, and former Team USA athlete turned photographer and USA talent ID honcho Tommy Zafiris. Welcome to you both. How's it going?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me along. Um, it's been a while since I've uh, come and chatted to you, Doug, so yeah,
2: yeah, thanks for having me, Doug. I love being on the podcast with you, chatting with old friends, people I don't get to see too often anymore. So nice to catch up with you, Non.
1: Likewise, Tommy.
0: A big week for Non. Congratulations on the NBA. This is uh, that was that was big news.
1: Yeah, it was um, a very lovely but very unexpected surprise when I got the letter, probably about five or six weeks ago now. So um, had to keep it very hushed, hashed until this weekend just gone. But yeah, a real privilege and um, really looking forward to, to going down to the palace and getting
2: that award since i can never get one i always make a list of everyone who has one that i'm friends with and so then i'm get to add one more thing to my list and <laughs> you have to send him a
0: photocopy of the actual letter and everything as well so he can put that on his wall with the other ones it's not right tom it's going
2: on the fridge and kimball uh next to his artwork has passed that art
1: <laughs> that's a great honor thank you very much <laughs>
2: Since
0: nobody gets like interesting posts these days, that must have been like quite the thing when that plopped through the letterbox.
1: Yeah. Well, it actually arrived at the office here and uh, the manager of the building sort of sent me this email, like not really to really see me before you leave. And I was like, Oh gosh, what have I done wrong? I've left lost my keys or something like that. Uh, and anyway, I went upstairs and he's like, I'm really sorry that I'm the first person to know and handed me this letter. Um, and you could sort of see through the, the window of the envelope, the first line of the, um, of the letter. So uh, yeah martin the the manager of the Brownlee center was the first to know um but he he kept the secret (laughs) well hidden for a few weeks um but yeah it's a pretty pretty cool letter to get and i'll definitely one i'll be keeping
0: that feels a bit loose doesn't it having all the crucial information visible through the little window of the letter is that
1: yeah we'll let the uh i don't know who sent the letter really we'll let the palace go
2: (laughs) (laughs) give me your feedback no, uh, he was over a candlelight doing one of
0: these.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> when uh, when do you get it? Is it you still have to go down there get the formal thing? Head to the palace, do you?
1: Yeah, so don't know yet. I'm supposed to be getting a letter in the next few weeks that will give me a date um, and all the all the crucial details: what I'm allowed to wear, what I'm allowed to say, what I'm allowed to do.
0: <laughs> you only get what is there? Do they say well? You've only got thirty seconds, or you've only got so many seconds? A very limited little time to try and get in your question about, I don't know, the Norwegian method. Uh, who should anchor the GB relay team?
2: I don't know.
1: I think King Charles will have all the answers to those questions. <laughs> I'm sure he's a big triathlon fan.
2: <laughs> Do you already have your outfit picked out?
1: Oh no, I mean it's, I, it depends on when when it's going to be. So what time of the year? Uh, being as the UK is very seasonal, it'll have to be based on. Um, whether it's autumn or spring or or what have you,
2: <laughs> very true. I was gonna say because Aaron's into bet, so you could make a a bet with him that he gets to pick out what you wear and then see.
1: That <laughs> is hundred percent. The happening. whole world watching.
2: Okay, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that it would be a disaster. Uh,
2: well, definitely, and that's why the whole world would be watching and waiting. <laughs> it would be the biggest news in triathlon. <laughs>
1: Outside of my wedding dress, it's probably the most important outfit I'm ever going to wear. So,
0: I feel like, is Aaron the one that we need to watch out for? He might be the one throwing a couple of kind of curve balls down there, mightn't he?
1: Highly likely, yeah. Well, um, he's an Aussie as well, so he doesn't know the right etiquette. He? So, I have to bring him up to speed with, with the, the good British etiquette.
0: Did you watch the game yesterday, the test? Are you um cricket? I'm
1: continuously I'm not a fan, but I'm continuously updated about the ashes. And when Australia finally got their four runs that they needed, um I've honestly never seen my husband more animated in my life. He was jumping around screaming, more emotional than I've ever seen him. So um yeah, that was a that was a turning point in our marriage, I think.
0: <laughs> wow it was quite it was quite the thing i'm
2: sure um i'm sure you were glued as well tommy right absolutely i could see you looking up in the distance aaron doesn't post about anything on social media except like drama in the triathlon space like if there's doping going on or like something and then anything about cricket
1: (laughs) His two passions in life
2: And he, it's funny because he posts these memes and I'm like, surely these are hilarious, but I don't understand the sport, so I don't understand anything that's being said. So Oh, well.
1: I think he forgets cricket is very niche to the UK uh, and Australia, really. I mean, obviously, India, Pakistan and South yeah, Africa. Yeah,
2: the billions of people of in India.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the rest of Europe and America have no clue. <laughs>
0: Yeah, cricket memes just going over people's heads right around the world. (laughs) Um, But yeah, well, yes, it's great to have you both on to go into the WTCS Montreal coming up this weekend. Uh, Tommy, you're heading there shortly, presumably. Are you just getting
2: everything together? Yeah, so we just arrived back uh, Monday night. Well, it was like 1 a.m. on Tuesday uh, from Huatulco and then had to unpack and then repack. And then we're headed to Montreal today. So it was basically a one-day turnaround. Katie's coming back a day earlier because she's uh, not doing the team relay. She's still not even sure she's going to get a start in the actual race. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll be flying back Monday. So Katie will come back a day early. She'll drive to the beach. I'll fly back the next day. And then I have the option to ride my bike to the beach, which is 300K, or uh, drive. And so I've already got all my stuff. Packed and ready to go as if I'm going to ride and I have the route mapped out. But we'll see after the Montreal weekend whether or not I'm up for a 300k barge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I think we can all get behind that,
0: can't we, Jeepers? That would be well worth following. You're going to presumably document that every step of the way. Wow, well, I think it's got to happen now. Tom, you've mentioned it. It's out
2: there. It has backpack to- full of uh, Reese's and then I don't have to stop anywhere. <laughs> And it's gonna be super hot, so I can just do one of those like camel packs and just uh, drink the melted (laughs) raciesto. So Katie, yeah, um,
0: on the waiting list for Montreal, we'll be going anyway. Like you know, I suppose that's something that she's had to be dealing with for the pretty much the first time. Is it coming out the back of uh, motherhood and so on? Tricky, tricky place. Is there anything you had to deal with as well, Non? Was there periods where you were struggling to kind of hit those start lines, having been out? Off the off the circuit for a
1: while. Um, I think I was quite lucky that I got um either subbed in or wild carded into my first race. I so I missed the whole of the twenty fourteen season with injury, and then my first race back. Um, I think I got a start, whether that was through a wild card or a sub, and I think finished seventh. And then from there, that was Yokohama in twenty fifteen, and then from there, I think I managed to get my start. So. It was a bit more straightforward for me, but, um, yeah, it's really tricky at the minute with, I think part of the problem is the strength of the American women. Right. Um, and the, the number of American women that, are that are in the top 20 or 30, uh, making it very difficult for Katie and obviously Gwen as well to to sort of step back into that world series space, but it's really interesting to watch unfold and, um, yeah, uh, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be nice when they finally sort of establish themselves back in that, uh, top echelon of of Americans, but obviously then that means of the world as well.
2: World Traplon does have the new maternity policy. It just kicked in after, like Gwen and Katie. So now in the future, anybody who gets pregnant that freezes their ranking from where it was. So when they do come back, their points are already where they were. So they can get starts no matter, you know, if they're from a high power country or a country that only has a couple athletes racing, they should be able to still get starts. So that's a really cool thing that, uh, world triathlon is doing. It's just a bummer that, uh, Katie and Gwen kind of missed out on that, but for the future. Great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I get, there's gotta be something to be said for being able to ease your way back into it as well, isn't there? You don't want to necessarily have your first race back. I guess you pick and choose and and, and ease in through other races anyway, but, um, is it Is it something she's finding quite stressful, Tommy? Like that whole, just the uncertainty of a race that you're preparing for and not necessarily going to start, it can't be great.
2: Yeah, no, she's a planner. And it's really nice to be able to, you know, set out blocks of time, chunks of time to be able to put in a solid block of training. But that's been impossible uh, because she's had to go to these Continental Cup races. And like she's had three races on the schedule because she doesn't know which one she's going to get into. And then as an example, like she bought her flight to Montreal which we're leaving today, which is Wednesday, she bought it on Monday. Like we didn't even know what the plan was um, until a couple of days before. So there's like, you have an idea of like different options, but there's a point where you need to pull the trigger and like make a decision. So same thing was happening like before Yokohama, where she had the choice to fly all the way to Japan, spend a week there and hope to get on the start list. But she decided that it was a lot of money. It's not great for training there. So like we'll skip that one, but then we'll invest in going to Italy and hope she gets on the start list, so it actually worked out well, perfectly because you can't predict the future. So, in the when you look back, she wouldn't have gotten on Yokohama, so it's good that she didn't go there. And then she did get on uh, Cagliari, so uh, it all worked out in her favor to that point. But yeah, still going to some Conti Cups to, to get her ranking up, some World Cups to get her ranking up, and then trying to get on every series start that she can. So, um, yeah, a bit stressful.
0: <laughs> yeah. And how are the, uh, has the the Brit squad looking non? Have you been, wh- which of those that are heading to Montreal have you been working with, presumably Georgia and Sophie or?
1: So Georgia is based here in the centre with us in Leeds, but Sophie is down in Loughborough, and Beth is in Leeds, um, but she trains with the Brownlee squad. So um, I don't necessarily see her very often unless she comes in for physio. So yeah, I mean, Georgia's going really well. I mean, you can just look at her last race in um Kagiari and um, you know, that, that obviously shows that she's she's coming into to form. She had a tough start to the year, but um she's turning that around now and um hopefully sort of coming into shape at the right time. Uh, the main uh target for Georgia this year is the test event. Um she only needs the podium there and that's her Olympic slot um sort of guaranteed. So everything is sort of focused at that and all these races are just about building up and preparing her for that for that race in Paris um, so yeah you know fingers crossed it goes to plan this weekend but as we all know on isn't super predictable so um we'll have to wait and find out
0: and the Montreal course is one that she obviously knows and loves quite well had a good battle there with Katie actually in 2019 which is the last time it was a sprint distance just a little bit about about the course I guess it's, it's sort of one of the more forgiving swims on the course, isn't it? On the circuit rather, like the way that the, you know, it's kind of gentle turns. It's, it doesn't look like there's any, uh, that that first buoy, for example, is, is probably not going to be
2: quite as intense as they sometimes are. Yeah, the way the course is played out is that the pontoon is in one spot and then the swim exit is not at the pontoon. It's at a different place. So that allows the course to make the first buoy much further away than you'd normally have. So there's not as much chaos it, the field is able to spread out a bit more before you get to that first buoy. Um, non might be able to speak to it a bit more, but I mean some people in the mid, mid pack are still going to experience that. But yeah, it's a little bit more gradual turns around the buoy and then the, towards the heading towards the swim exit, um, just less sharp of, you know, like they're not 90 degree turns around the buoys. They're more like 45 degree angles, um, which helped the bunching up of athletes and swimming over the top of each other
1: looking at the start list you know the m- most of the main players are going to be there in the women's race so um i think it's going to be a really tough race and a re- re- very well fought race and um you know i think with some of the strong swim bikers that we've got we could see a, a small small front pack forming pretty quickly uh if you've got someone there to drive the swim on early goes.
0: How's Katie's form, confidence, whatever? Uh, it, it, were she to make that start list of of kind of being on the feet of a Bragmire, uh, uh, you know, Victoria Lopez, Georgia, and so on? Um, you know, that's obviously the target, right? But would would, would she would she be there? Do you what do you think, Tom?
2: See, that's it's really hard to say, just because uh, I kind of mentioned before that she's just having to race a lot, and normally she doesn't. She just can put in huge blocks of training. So swimming is one of those beats where if you don't do it for a little bit, or if you're kind of off, or if you're not like dialed in on your training, it is hard to get to that top end unless you like naturally are always there. So Katie has to be very fit in terms of like consistent training to be there all the time. And at this stage, like she's been racing a bunch, so it'd be kind of a, a hit or miss thing, but I will say she's biking extremely well. So if she can get off like in touching distance, then um, I would say she has a chance at making that front group. But yeah, the get out speed thing is um, a, a really tough thing to kind of predict and guess it. It's really dependent on your pontoon start position, who you're near, um, if you get kind of closed in on or the two groups like spread out and you get some free space or um, where you approach the buoy. If you're on the left side, right side, like there's all kinds of factors that don't have anything to do with fitness as well that can determine where you come out of the water. So. Um, if she were to get on the start, start list, I would say she has a 50-50 chance. She either does or doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And
0: that's a sort of, by virtue of her hard work, right? So you have someone like a Vittorio Lopez or Brad Meyer, who are presumably like the, the naturally gifted swimmers who have to put in a little bit less effort. Whereas for Katie, it's it's hardcore training to to get to that point. And, and where would you put Sophie in that realm, non, as far as you know, she's obviously a, a bullet in the water as well. Yeah. Is it is it something that, that she's had to like keep right on top of to to keep on to keep there or is she naturally one of the one of the faster? I
1: think uh, yeah, Sophie is one of our naturally very fast swimmers. I think for a long time she probably had the fastest fifty metre uh, swim time out of the men and the women on the on the British programme. Um, I'm not sure if that's still the case, but there definitely right. was a point where uh, fifty was very impressive. So she's got very natural get out speed, but I know she's worked really hard on sort of her threshold development over the years and um, but yeah, no, she's a natural swimmer and I'd be very surprised if she's sort of not in the front front group when they when they get out of the swim. Top
0: top speed over fifty of the men and the women. That's that's quite something. She's rapid. And then, how do how would you imagine, like, say Taylor Nib's gonna? It's gonna be a, a pretty large pack coming out of the water together, basically. So you would imagine she'd want to go and try and break that up as,
2: as quickly as possible, right, Tommy? Absolutely. And that was I was looking at the start list because um, Nib didn't race in Abu Dhabi and she didn't race in Italy, so she only has one race. So her championship series ranking is not the best. I think she's like fifteen to twentieth range. So that means she's going to be probably somewhere in the middle of the pontoon, unless for some reason, like the buoys, the way they're lined up, like everyone just goes to one side. And then like the Olympics, Taylor chooses to go all the way to the other because she said that she hates being near people or people touching her. So if she happens to get a good start, she's going to be one of the top, you know, three or four out of the water. But if she gets hit or touched or like squished a little bit, then she kind of like shuts down and like lets people go and then has to like catch up. So it's really going to be dependent on the swim and where she comes out. But for sure, she's just going to annihilate the bike. Like that is her game plan every single time. Everyone knows that. <laughs> uh, so she's just going to get out there and then she doesn't really care like who's on her wheel. Uh, if you're going to be there, then you're going to have to ride as hard as you can to stay there. Um, once the, the break's established and the group's established, then she'll kind of evaluate who's there. And then she'll do her thing where she goes to the back, waits for the right time, and then puts in a massive attack and tries to drop some people. So um, I guarantee we're going to see that. <laughs> I haven't talked to her or anything, but that's the the mo. So um, we'll see what happens. Has there been? Uh, have you got any intel or, or
0: thoughts on the, uh, the the new contract she's got with the cycling team as well? Like, how's how's that going to be playing out? Do you imagine in relation to her triathlon
2: career? So that was really cool to hear about, actually, because um, basically, a it's really good for her financially, and then of course for a future career and like just the publicity of our sport, triathlon in general, like crossing over with cycling. But um, she has access now with Trek Segafredo with their whole team, meaning like the team of coaches and uh, physios and all that stuff. And so she's going to be working very closely with a bike skills coach. And making sure that because she doesn't want to race the road race until she is 100% ready to uh, be comfortable and confident that she's not going to crash and not crash anybody else out. So she's working with a Trek Sigafredo, um yeah, bike handling skills coach, and that's been one of her main factors in world triathlon racing that has kind of let her down. Where she's super strong on the flat, super strong TTing. but when it comes to corners, she's always big, leaving big gaps. She doesn't trust other riders. Um, she loses quite a bit of time and um yeah she just loses energy there so um if she's able to dial down those skills then it's going to be a pretty intense uh you know next year and a half <laughs> leading into the Olympics.
1: that's what everybody wants Taylor Nib getting better on a bike
2: <laughs> did you have any sort of i don't
0: know either eureka moments or things that you would always trying to dial in to to bring into your biking section on um of the three disciplines how, how did that figure in, in your sort of strengths and, and weaknesses or things that you were trying to pick up?
1: Uh, so for me, I just was, I'm not a powerful athlete. Um, I'm a bit of a diesel engine. So when you're coming into a dead turn and there's like huge spikes in power, um, for, the, for me, that was, that was really difficult and sort of my weak area. So I worked really hard in always positioning myself in the right place so that, that elastic band effect that obviously happens when you come out of a corner, I was as far forward as possible um so that when i inevitably lose a little, t- little bit of time because i can't put the same power down as some of the other girls i wasn't drifting off the back of the pack i was just drifting a bit further down so i had to think really smart about how i was racing and always trying to position myself in in the right place and unfortunately i was quite technically sound um and sort of really enjoy technical courses and and cornering and sort of carrying speed through through, through um technical sections so um Fortunately, I enjoyed that, so I could sort of overcome that um, deficit in in power.
0: Sort of the polar opposite of Taylor, nip then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's talk about her sort of being able to schedule dependent, potentially do both sports at the Olympics. Is that like does that sound realistic? Do you think? I haven't looked at the
2: schedule, but if it's schedulely possible, <laughs> I can imagine her doing it. But if she was only doing like the individual time trial for cycling, then I think absolutely that's doable, but yeah, just depending on schedule.
0: Is that in a way like the flip of what you're doing, Tommy, you're looking at, you know, good swimmers, good runners and and trying to lure them over to the triathlon world, right? That's kind of part of your role at USAT. Um, and they've obviously heard about Taylor's abilities and, and kind of done the, done the opposite.
2: Yeah, I also check cycling as well. But it's just a lot more rare that you find a good cyclist who also can swim <laughs> or run. So um yeah, I'll I'll still continue to check like cycle cross results, individual time trial results, national champs, road racing. Like I check everything. But um yeah, yet to find somebody who has stats that kind of measure up um in, in the cycling world. So it's much easier. If you find somebody who's talented already in two sports, most likely they'll be able to do a third (laughs) um especially if they just have that aerobic engine um but then yeah evaluating the bike handling skills and how quickly they can pick up on things and how comfortable they feel right away out of the bike that's the the big factor so finding people who are good at two sports plus have the natural ability on the bike is that's the you know the golden egg (laughs) it's not something that that forms part of your job
0: non you you know you're 100 in in the coaching realm or or do you inevitably in that kind of world come across athletes or hear about athletes or have them sort of did to people tip you off and say you should have a look at this person or bring them in?
1: I mean if somebody tipped me off I'd probably um point the talent ID officer <laughs> or whatever their role title is in British Trath I'm not sure in the right direction. But uh, no that's not my job. Um I work with um so the way that Leeds Triathlon Centre works is we work in partnership with the universities here and I work with sort of our potential athletes coming through that we feel have the potential to move on to world class programme in the next few years Um, so sort of really trying to develop um, our 18 to 25 year olds into into the world class pathway athletes Um, and um, also working alongside the world class athletes that we have here already Um, but yeah sort of really focusing on that that group of athletes that are coming through and hopefully getting them ready to um, to move up to sort of World Cup, World Series level.
0: Out of 10, how much do you prefer being on the side of the pool than in the pool for those sessions then? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it depends. I really enjoy coaching a hard swim and I hate swimming a hard swim, but I do not enjoy coaching like long aerobic swings because there's not really much you can do uh, and I'd much rather be in the water floating around than uh, sat on poolside. So it depends on the session.
0: <laughs> I imagine it's kind of the same for you, isn't it, Tom? You would much rather be in there. <laughs> no? <laughs> I couldn't tell if you are being sarcastic. No. I'm... You always look like I... you are kind of like a flipping... I always think of you as some sort of Labrador chasing a ball, like just desperate to get in there and <laughs> have a crack.
2: Yeah. Well, I spent so many years swimming that, yeah, I'd, I don't even get in the pool anymore. Yeah, after Tokyo, there was no reason for me to swim anymore. So I was like, eh. Ah. Katie already has training partners in the pool, and so I don't need to get in there. The only time I swim now is for the swim course familiarization photo gallery. So I'll get in there with my GoPro and swim one lap of the course, and then take a nap.
0: <laughs> it will be a, an interesting test if if Katie's there and and in either a chase pack or in that pack with with Taylor, and you know a good test of where she is in relation to to Taylor and her remarkable levers uh, and the the power that she can push as as it will be heading onto the run it's yeah there's some interesting there's some interesting names out there kind of doing some some good times at the moment on there like Jeanne laher uh was was pushing some good good pace with Cassandra Beaugrand in in Cagliari and showing what she can do Beth Potter will obviously be someone that everyone will have their eye on as as having a, a wicked kick over the the closing stages as well how do you see it uh non for example yeah who would you have your eyes on out there
1: i always think with a sprint distance um the sort of window opens a bit wider and you get more people that can sort of um factor um but i think yeah like you say obviously the the obvious athletes potter uh jean is in is, is in good shape right now you can never discount spivey taylor brown um, Kate Wolf had a great result in Yokohama and that's always sort of more of a comes down to a solid run so I think those sort of obvious obvious names but then Rosa Maria, uh, Tepia Vidal um, she's obviously a force to be reckoned with right now and running super well so um, it'll be interesting to see how she stacks up again against these girls especially over the shorter distance.
0: Tom, any anything that you saw in Huatulco that you think may or may not hit
2: the highs in? Well, Huatulco was quite the different race. Uh, I have to say, it was just one giant, massive pack pedaling around at about 100 watts uh, in like the hottest temperatures you've ever felt in your whole entire life. So um, I think the conditions really play a factor, and I don't think we'll see as slow of a race at a championship series race as in Watoko. So I don't think we'll see any of the the names that we saw there. Um, and Jean Laher, like she's been killing it, but she's also been racing like every single weekend. <laughs> she raced in uh, Madrid and then she raced the French Grand Prix in Bordeaux. And then, um, yeah, racing in Montreal. So I'm wondering if that's sustainable and if she's able to, you know, come back with the fire that she's already had because, Um, she's definitely one to watch Um, I would be interested though sprint distance wise after all that racing and like the different names now that are on the start list because we're going to have Georgia Taylor Brown uh, Sophie Coldwell and Taylor Nibb and Taylor Spivey you know four athletes that are super strong on the front and so if Jean's not there then that group is gone Um, and so then I don't see her in sprint distance being able to run up uh, through that and this is the first time that we've had like all of those athletes racing in the same race. And already there's been a breakaway at every single race without all of them together. So, um, chances are, are high that there's going to be another small group off the front. Um, and so I would say that like in my fantasy pick that I have, um, I got my, my top five are Georgia Taylor Brown, Sophie Caldwell, Taylor Nib, Taylor Spivey and Beth Potter. So that's who I foresee. Yeah. Obstroy.com. com.
0: For the fantasy. None of have you have you delved into that?
1: Being biased, would like to see a Brit win again because then that means a British woman has won every World Series race this year. So long may that continue. Uh,
2: we need, it needs to be Kate Waff. It needs to be Kate Waff so that it can be a different British woman at every single race. That would be that would make my year, I think. <laughs>
1: that's true. I'm more than happy for Kate Waff to, to take the title in um Montreal. Um but I think you know it'd be really interesting to see when Nicole Banderke actually um, how she goes as well. She's been having a great start to the season over in the Southern Hemisphere and um, it'll be great to see how she, she lines up and she's always pretty strong over sprint distance. So I think to throw a different name out there, I'm going to say Nicole.
0: Yeah, that win for Beth in Abu Dhabi was, was quite something and equally impressive, I guess, the, the second for Sophie Caldwell. Um, quite interesting that she was, you know, not even really planning to race. It was just bolted on at the, on the way back from Australia from her training block and how really that a result in a race that she wasn't even planning to race has kicked her on into the best start of the season of her entire career and put her in really great position. And, and then she chose to sat, sit out Cagliari, right? That kind of picking and choosing of, of what races to do is is quite an interesting sort of side story at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think um, Sophie has found a great balance in her life and training. Um, and she's, I think, worked really hard on finding what works for her with training um, and really stuck to Again, She's very, uh, she knows what she wants to do and she sticks to it. And I really admire that in her. Um, and I'm loving seeing her do so well she's sort of been around the sport for so long and, and worked so hard and yeah it's great to see her right up there mixing at the top and, and regularly podiuming um and of course you know i'm sure we'll see her factor again this weekend because she is such an all round athlete she's a super swimmer a super biker and now she's a super runner as well so you know that full package is is what you need to be in triathlon these days gone are the days where you can just be a, a super runner you've got to be the full package if you want to be up there podiuming
2: mm.
0: Yeah, we interviewed her for the Down the Blue Carpet series on Triathlon Live just before Abu Dhabi race. And yeah, I hadn't realized quite how, how far back her sort of triathlon goes. It's, I mean, was she like six or seven? I think if you cut as she bleeds triathlon, right, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, she's definitely a um, somebody that grew up being a triathlete. So a lot of my generation of athletes um, have come across from different sports. But Sophie is definitely of the generation where they've grown up being triathletes. And I think we're going to see more and more of that now, obviously, as the sport is far more established and um, us old folks are on our way out.
0: (laughs) I feel like when when Katie won her title in 2019, Tommy, was there... I I feel like she was just on every start line that came her way, in the series, that is. Um, Was there... Is it just she was that type of athlete that she just wanted to keep the racing consistency, build the training between them? Is that just my memory sort of deceiving me and she actually was a bit more selective of the races? How did
2: it play out? Yeah, over the years as well, the rules have changed with with how many races count. And then also it's dependent on if you have good races or bad races or if you get sick or whatever. Um, And it's all about the overall series and the buildup of points. So I think, yeah, if there are more races on tap and then fewer races that count towards the world title, then you can be a lot more selective with, uh, which races you choose to sit out, um, and which ones that you can afford to have like a few bad races at or whatnot. So, um, I think nowadays there's plenty of options for racing. Um, also there's yeah, plenty of options for missing races as well that fit your schedule. So, um, especially with the test event now thrown in the mix, um, before the grand final, and a lot of athletes their country's olympic qualification are the test event so sitting out championship series races um in placement of getting a good training block so that you can qualify for the olympics i think is as equal as important um as actually finishing in the overall so we'll see uh what happens this year and what athletes choose to do but as you saw or like i know it's kind of off topic but i was just looking at the start list and there are zero french men on the start list in montreal and like alex isn't there and hayden's not there if i recall correctly so like they're these guys they've already gotten really good results so it's not necessary for them to go like they can afford to just have a super block of training and then nail the important races Mm. not that montreal is not important but (laughs) yeah and just to close out the, the
0: sort of women's side of it um obviously still no floor she's very clear that Paris test event is her sort of plan for, for that first race back probably. Uh, and like you said, on the French side, no Cassandra, no Emma Lombardi, Leonie Perio is the only French athlete racing. Um, those guys, I guess, yeah, also with, with slightly different priorities, it'll be interesting to see whether they do or what they do for Hamburg and, and Sunderland ahead of Paris as well. And then, yeah, on the men's side, I guess in a similar way to Jean Leher, someone who's raced a lot, but is in very good form, and you wouldn't necessarily discount the way he's been running, is David
2: Castro, right? Um, European champ and the winner in Huatuco. Yeah, well, same thing as Jean Leher. Like David's been traveling all over the place and racing all these different races. And I'm going to be very interested to see how he pulls up in Montreal because um, doing that much travel and that much racing and that hard of racing, and especially in Huatuco, that like that hot of a race recovering from that and like getting proper training in is, is very difficult. Um, and one of the things we've seen with David is that he's struggled a bit with the harder bike. Um, he has been, you know, dropped from packs in the past. And, um, I think we've only seen him at a series race finish in the top five only once. So going from a world cup, like Waltulco where it's really warm, pretty big pack, not a very strong, hard bike ride, like a little bit lower level of competition. Like he's just blowing doors on people he's killing everybody. Like comes down to a really fast run and he's, he's got that dialed, but the, the championship series is a whole nother level, um, different conditions, as we talked about before, for the women, where the bike is going to be a lot faster, a lot harder. Um, so seeing how, if he's able to stay with that front group, then for sure, he's got a, a shot at the podium. Um, I would not discount him. But he's just going to have to make that step up, you know, to the the harder bike ride and the little bit more energy that it's going to take to stay in the front group. And obviously, the Europeans was
0: um, doathlon format as well, which I guess played massively to his strengths. Um, Yeah, non any any particular athletes you've got your your eye on to make waves in the in the men's race?
1: Well, like you said, it's um, a lot of the sort of big players aren't going to be there. Um, with Alex Hayden and, and the French guys sitting it out. So for me, when I first looked at the start list, I was like, wow, it's actually quite quite open. Um, I think it's really interesting to see Matt Hauser coming back onto the World Series start list, especially over sprint distance. He's always super strong. So um, I might even tip him for the top of the podium. But I think you're going to see Valarcia up there, obviously. It'd be great to see Van Riel racing again. He's getting stronger every race at the minute, coming back from obviously a pretty significant injury and and yellow jeans has had great form in in montreal i think it was his first ever world series win a few years back so um yeah you know I, I'd, I'd like to see him up there and, and fighting for the podium as well
0: that was one of the all-time great finishes wasn't it Haynes against mario Mola, as the heavens opened in 2019 and uh yeah, that they sort of dug in, especially actually kind of enhanced the whole thing having Tyler tucked in there as well, and you know looking absolutely fresh as a daisy still with a kilometre to go, and just got edged out. Um, as someone who was obviously quite close to to Mario and Yella, Tommy having trained with them a lot, and that must have been one of your one of your moments to save her from behind the lens, wasn't it?
2: Well, do we want to get into the whole story? Because what makes it even more memorable is the Reese's bet. So <laughs> do you want me to tell the story real quick? Tell the bet. Tell us the bet. There's always some bet. <laughs> All right. So back in 2019, right, the, they had a Continental Cup the morning of the championship series race. So because I was working there, I wasn't working in the morning. So I was like, oh, I'll just throw my name on the start list and I'll, I'll just race like before the championship series race. And then it turned out I was the same number as Yella. We were number 15 in the on the start line. So I told him, I was like, all right, let's make a bet. Like whoever beats their number by more wins. And the loser uh, has to buy the winner uh, Reese's. And Yella's like, Reese's? I've never heard of Reese's. I don't know what those are. I was like, oh my gosh, you have to have them there. Whatever. So we had this bet. At, we raced in the morning. I ended up having a sprint finish and then finished second. And so then I was like, boom, got this in the bag. Like Yella's never been on podium or whatever. Like <laughs> I, I got this Reese's thing. And then I'm watching the race and Yellow's is like running in the top three, you know, it's okay to go. And I'm like, he could actually like win this. And like, they came around the corner and Mario like takes off and I was like, all right, well, if he's second and I'm second, then like, no, we all get Reese's everyone gets Reese's all good. But then, yeah, he out sprinted Mario, you know, the last 50 meters and took his first ever win. And I couldn't have been more excited about losing a bet in my entire life. But, Um, We had, like, published it on social media, so, like, everyone knew about it. And now it's a thing. Like, people throw Reese's at me and stuff when I'm, like, working on race courses. Like, still, four years later. (laughs) Jackpot. You live in the dream. Yeah. So, that was a a most memorable experience. The other second one is that Katie and Yella both won. And so, on the podium, there's a picture of them, like, arm in arm. Because it was pouring down rain, as you said, in the finish. So, they had to move everything inside. So they did the women and the men together. And there's a picture of them like flexing next to each other. And they turned that into the volunteers t-shirt for the next year. So everybody who was volunteering or like wearing t-shirts had a picture of Katie and Yella on the back, like doing the fist pump. And uh, so then I asked for a few shirts. So we all got shirts for the JST crew. (laughs) And I still have it. I still wear it every once in a while. (laughs) Nice. None like, you know, a a result for someone
0: that you were just so delighted to see them come through and you know something that that you weren't necessarily involved in or even it might have been like against you but one way you just kind of hold your hands up and go yeah that that is exactly what you wanted to be the outcome
1: I've actually really enjoyed seeing Jeanne Leher do well this year um I used to be on a French team with Jeanne and I know she has maybe struggled to find form in the last few years and has had a change of setup with her coach. And that's not necessarily being straightforward, sort of leaving her old setup. So yeah, really delighted to see her her doing really well. I know she works really hard. So I'd say, yeah, seeing Jan take my European title from me <laughs> was actually quite nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to try and get a few words with her after the race in Montreal, Tommy. She was saying about how, um, you know, it, obviously, not an easy decision switching nationality from Luxembourg to to from France to Luxembourg in the previous um, podcast, and and then you know the fact that Callery was basically you know finishing in top five, she would have qualified for the French team for the test event. Um, but then, and I was like, well, you know, could could that? Do, do you feel any regret about making the change? Then you know, a Paris home olympics racing for france you could have been like you know one of the top three on the thing and she said well she wouldn't have got those chances to race if she'd still been in the french setup right she probably wouldn't have been in canary so yeah that that is um yeah it's good it's a good time for her it's great to see like a change like that have such a positive impact i guess
1: i think it shows the um importance of giving some people opportunities I think um, federations can sometimes get caught up in um, making sure athletes are a certain standard before they're allowed to to race at you know World Series level and sometimes you just need to expose people to it and they might fail the first couple of times they get out there but um, for me certainly the first few World Series I did I was lapped out um, but if I hadn't had that exposure I wouldn't have been put on this sort of super quick uh, learning trajectory and I think for some people, it doesn't work, but for other athletes, it really works. And Jeanne is obviously an example of thriving off of, of, of being given extra opportunities through through this sort of switch to, to Luxembourg.
0: Yeah, Tommy, when you, you know, you're bringing new people into the setup, I guess, do you always try and probably, presumably it can't be that straightforward, but you're getting in touch with these people, bringing them in for, for a test or whatever. Are you more often than not there for those first experiences that they have or sometimes you're just kind of handing them over feeding them to the lions
2: and then seeing what they come up with Uh, typically we're trying to follow a specific development path Um, and so i kind of relate it to like learning a language where it it is good sometimes to be fully immersive and in if you just go to a country but you know it's really hard and you're just lost for a while so it's nice to like go through spanish one or spanish two before you actually get fully immersed so the the goal is to have them go through the steps of like continental cup racing and like work their way up and then you give them the opportunity as as non said and some people it works really well some people it doesn't so you give them a few opportunities to shine and if they're not able to do that after a couple then you kind of take a step back and like all right what's the development process that's going to work for you um and and kind of figure it out that way but no we don't like feeding them to the lines directly um we'll make sure that yeah they have some sort of base and and knowledge and understanding of uh, what it's going to take and, um, yeah, working their way up a little bit. I don't want to say slowly, cause it is kind of a fast track and triathlon is a, a tough sport. And, um, it takes a long time to qualify for the Olympics. You know, it's a two year process. So, um, it's not like you can eventually take four years in an Olympic cycle to qualify for Olympic trials and like running or swimming, and then just show up to one event finished and then qualify for the Olympics. You know, it's a, a big, long points chase. So, uh, making sure that the athletes are kind of following that step by step process and working the points uh, system.
0: I mean, it's not been that long, is it like a year and a half, two years since you started? Are you starting to see the first fruits, like the first athletes that got you excited kind of coming through now? Are there any that have, you know, the fruit of your, your work coming out?
2: Uh, not quite yet. Um, yeah, I've been there for almost two years now, actually. So um, it's basically been restructuring the entire program um, figuring out different funding paths because we don't have just funding like we have to get donors to donate money to be able to start new programs and stuff like that so doing that kind of breaking things down and then building things back up um, we've had new staff turn over and like getting approval for things and so it is like A very political and bureaucratic process as well it's not just like finding athletes and giving them opportunity um there's like a lot of structure involved so basically the last year and a half has just been breaking down and building up structure now that we have the structure in place i actually have a camp uh the first week of july where we'll have a group of athletes coming in and most likely i'm not going to start seeing um any fruits until after 2024 i would guess um, so we'll, we'll see, but we have a lot, a lot of potential coming up and coming through. And now that we have the structure in place, um, we're going to try to see if that pans out. We do have one athlete, his name's Ko Cruz. He just raced the first world cup in Watulco, but unfortunately he ended up crashing. Um, but he still picked his bike up his trailer was going into his wheels. He stopped, he like bent it back and then finished the ride solo and then still ran like as hard as he could. He finished like 50th or something, but just the mental capacity to crash get up be pretty banged up fix your bike and have to stop multiple times and then continue to go is a good sign just mentally so anyway that that's the one athlete that we have that's currently in the program that is racing at the world cup level strong and as 2024
0: paris kind of comes into view non does your does your role change slightly does the way you know over the next well it's almost exactly a year isn't it like does does the whole approach start to change within British Triathlon and, um, yeah, like what is always meticulous preparation over there, isn't it?
1: Yes, I think we're uh, sticklers with details and I think sort of one of our aims is to always be the best prepared team on the start line and, um, you know, the closer that we get to an Olympic Games, so I guess you start the Olympic cycle four years out and the the base is broad and each year, um, we get narrower and narrower, and the focus gets narrower and narrower on specific athletes. And that doesn't mean we can neglect the the athletes that won't be going to the Olympics. But more and more um, effort and time is put into those athletes that will be will be going to the games. And yeah, of course, we're getting pretty close now. And um, you know, we spend a lot of time sat sat around tables discussing um, what athletes' training is going to look like, what their preparation is going to look like. How we what have we got in place ready. Um, I mean, these conversations are probably happening at many levels above me as well, but sort of within the centre here uh, and the athletes that we potentially have going to, to the games, um, you know, that that's already happening. And um, yeah, I guess it just, you get more and more focused on, on those that are hopefully, hopefully going. And, you know, we're very fortunate with British Triathlon that most of the athletes that we send are going to be in a position where they have the chance to deliver a medal. So um medal delivery is what it's all about and um yeah just trying to best support those athletes um as we can to to, to deliver the performances for themselves ultimately you know we 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 here to serve and 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 to help those help those athletes um realize you know the, the the fruits of their of their hard work and um you know their dreams so um yeah it'll be the first time that I've obviously been on this side for for an olympic cycle and I won't be at the games myself that they've already got this, so senior uh, management team set for that and senior staff team set for that. But um, yeah, just to be sort of part of that process and the build that will be will be really interesting and um, yes, hopefully, hopefully really rewarding.
0: It'll be fascinating to see if Johnny is there for a fourth games as well. I, I imagine a race like Montreal will be a real sort of yardstick for him tommy we didn't really hear much about your picks for the men's race in montreal
2: that seems like a good moment See, this is why i love and hate fantasy all at the same time because it's like you look at the start list and there's so many names that could win the race you're like and then so many people who have performed over the years like that are just legends of the sport and you're like they're not even in my top five but why it's like just because like recent results but like you can't count them out so um, it's really frustrating because when I see names like Johnny, I'm like, I just, I want to pick him because he's just got this, like all these results from the past years and years and years of racing that are so incredible. But then you look at the other names and you're like, there, all these new names now have been beating him at every race, like in the last couple of years. So it's like, ah, oh, making my team is really tough. But um, yeah, I feel like the the game has changed just a bit um and there's not quite as much firepower at the front there's not quite as much aggressiveness coming out of the water getting on the bike and not looking back and no nobody caring what's happening behind where like what both the Brownlers and they're racing they could give a crap what's happening behind them they just went and then that's when gaps opened up and once they have that gap you know it's never never going back but now you see the guys get out of the water and they're kind of looking at each other they're like they see somebody put their foot in their shoe and so they stop and put their foot, in their shoe at all at the same time. So then the whole pack slows down and you're like, Oh no, that's like the moment you got to (laughs) go. Like, um, I I know it's easier said than done, but like, it's just different. Like you used to see just it lined out, strung out, just like going crazy at the front. Um, and now it seems more like a little bit more cautious and like people are getting into like a nice, easy rotation at the beginning. And you're like, Oh, they're working together well, but they're really just like kind of, i would say faffing about as not the british would say <laughs> um you don't see that just like super aggressive head down just like drooling everywhere and getting that front group away so um now now that that's happening and there's no front group and there's just a lot of fast runners that are young guys that are coming up that can stay in the group and that can sprint really fast <laughs> the last the 800 meters you know are game changers so um, yeah, Vasco Velasa, um, he's got a crazy good sprint. Hauser's got a crazy good sprint. Um, Yellow's got a crazy good sprint. Tyler Mislichuk's got a crazy good sprint. You know, Manuel Messias has a good sprint. So, like, all of these guys, if they're in there, you, you can't call it. It's just going to be who's got the mental fortitude that day and uh, how it turned out. And, like, we also have guys like Jonas Schomburg, who he was, I believe, top five at, in Cagliari or top six or something like that um so and he's crazy fast at a transition and typically he goes out really fast and then like falls off a bit but every single race like he's getting a little bit further and a little bit further and uh, with the sprint distance race it's only 5k so maybe he can hold on this time um uh, yeah there's Blumenfeld is going to be back like i know that sprint distance is a, a bit harder for him but he's an olympic champion like he's the Ironman world champion 70.3 world champion like so insanely talented like why would you not put him in your top five so that's why it's so hard Um, and then yeah we got Martin Van Reel, who he's slowly coming back but he's such a talented dude that I know after a month of extra training you know could make the difference between being 13th to being top five so um, yeah there's all kinds of names on here we have uh, Roberto Sanchez Mandacon we have uh, Alberto uh, uh, Surat Sionni and those guys have been on podiums in Bermuda, like fastest runs of the day. So, uh, I know I'm not helping anyone, but I'm just naming off some people that like are, this is what goes through my mind when I'm picking my fantasy teams. It's like, all right, if it's one group, these are all the people who could like win this race. Um, and I, I don't foresee there being a breakaway in this, uh, with 750 swim, uh, everything's pretty compact. Uh, and there's not any powerhouses. I don't want to say powerhouses. Everybody's a powerhouse on the bike. It's the problem. So there's not a discrepancy of like one person that could make the biggest difference. Um, So I I don't know. Nan, what do you think? You saved me from my hell of (laughs) this (laughs) argument within myself.
1: I was going to say, I would agree with you that I think it's not that there isn't any powerhouses on the bike anymore. I think it's just that the standard um, of all the men globally has risen. So I think the Brownlee set this, standard and, and Gomez of course um for what uh, the biking was gonna be and everybody else has come up to it and that's why we're just seeing these big packs now and, and sort of not the smaller breakaways that we became accustomed to seeing. But yeah, for me the if you want my picks for the top five, I'm gonna go Hauser, Balacha, Geens, Mizelchuk and Van Real.
2: I have similar but different order. So I have Basco winning just because I think that would be cool for him to be his first win. Uh, Yella second, Missluchek third because the Canadian on the podium would be ideal as well in Montreal. Uh, Hauser for fourth uh, just because I want him to be there as well, and then um, Martin for fifth just because I like Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and that that, that is kind of fearless. What you what you're basically
0: saying is, and this is what Jamie Riddle was kind of alluding to a bit in his interview as well on here. Um, yeah, he's obviously massively influenced by the brownies that style of racing we saw in hamburg a year or two ago when when he went out on the front um he could be out you know one of the first out of the water so it's a long run into transition he just hammer that run get straight on the gas and put the cat amongst the pigeons is that what you're saying he should do tommy
2: yeah but he needs other people to do that as well like if he does it by himself which he's done in the past it doesn't do anything like you need three or four guys that are doing that exact same thing, um, mm-hmm. that are all in the same mindset of, all right, this guy in front, he's going to ride for like literally a minute and a half as hard as he can. And then when it and he pulls off, I'm going to ride as hard as I can for the next minute, minute and a half. And then, you know, do that a few times um, to get through that rotation to just make that gap. And then once it's established, then that's when you can start getting in your rotation and rhythm and being polite to each other. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, we look forward to the racing. It's this Saturday. It's on triathlon TV. Uh, Tommy, you'll be working. None will you be watching? It's fairly antisocial hour, actually, isn't it? In the in the Possibly.
1: probably, yeah, it probably is. Um, I'll be flying potentially over to um, Krakow for the uh, European Games. It's my first um, as a coach, so um, I will watch if I can, of course. But um, I might be in travel.
0: Righto. Um now we got Barclay as I've got Connor Bentley and uh Hamish racing as well for GB there, right? So those two guys with a very good chance of doing something special.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, obviously we had Hamish and Connor on the podium at World Twenty Three 23s last year, and um Barclays had some really solid results at World Series this year. Um he's such a strong runner. So yeah, it'd be really interesting. Um looking at this uh, looking at the um men's and women's start lists. They're both fairly open. Um and um yeah, it'd be it'll be great to to support the athletes and and hopefully get some good results for for GB.
0: Tommy, by the time we finish this, Kimball will have done his packing for for everyone, and, and it'll be plain sailing to Montreal, right?
2: Yeah, as far as I know, he's all packed because that's uh, Katie's realm. She does all of it. She like is insane with how much she does. It's crazy. Yeah, we hope she gets on that start. Uh, non.
0: Enjoy crack out. I hope it goes well. Was your first your first foray into the major games
2: as a coach? In your first crack.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I I'm not gonna elaborate on that.
2: <laughs> oh mate, I'm sure you've got uh
0: something that you'd like to pass on to Erin through non for uh, when she gets home tonight Sam.
2: Make sure dinner is ready, Mr. Husband.
1: I was gonna say, um, my ath- athlete isn't as well trained as your athlete I don't think
2: <laughs> <laughs> he's got no planning done
1: <laughs> well uh, yeah I'm Yeah, I'm not going to say too much <laughs>
2: <laughs> too busy watching cricket that's, uh, that's a job in itself takes up a exactly. lot of
0: time
1: it's a commitment, cricket is a commitment
0: on Stanford MBE congratulations on that as well and uh, yeah thanks very much guys that was great
1: Thank you so much, guys. Good luck, Team Sephiroth.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Doug.